0: My name is Mark, and this is the Path of Zen podcast. All right, so we are going to be talking about what is Zen. So a little bit about myself. My name is uh, Mark V. Tannen. I'm a Zen student since about 1985. have been uh, studying all aspects of um, Zen Buddhism, from the history to where it came from, to where the teachings came from, uh, to current thoughts, old thoughts, so I have a quite a vast range of, of Zen, but I also should warn you that I have a very different view of Zen that you might find in from the Zen centers. So uh, the things I will say may challenge you. They may um, make you uh, curious or angry. And if you are a current Zen student, a lot of the things I'm going to say probably are going to puzzle you because they're going to be either contradictory or a little bit um, different than what the Zen centers say. And I will tell you why when I say them, they are different or contradictory. And for those of you who are new to Zen or have no idea what this is, um, I will be explaining things out in detail, hopefully to really break them down, to their meanings, because words have meanings, and break them down into a way that can be understood and give you some things to think about. So the first thing I think we should even talk about is um, what exactly is Zen? All right, we should know that Zen is a Japanese word that more or less means the nature of mind. Um, some people want to translate that as mind or to mind. But when you really start looking at the, the word zen, as in how it's looked at from the, the Chinese, the Chinese call it chan. And that came from the uh, southern Asian areas, which they call it dianum. And that really, um, Diana means, uh, by the way, uh, to, to see and to hold. Chan means more like nature, mind, or mind of nature, so Zen, when you really look at the word, is a is about, it's kind of a pointing to the nature of mind. What is the nature of your entire mind? And so we'll be discussing what uh, mind is, and we'll be discussing what that nature is uh, in these podcasts to come. So when we look at uh, Zen as a word, we start to understand that it becomes a process of discovery and learning and exploration. It's not a, it's not a religion as in, let's go and pray to a god or something like that. It's, it's a process of discovery and learning that we are engaging in. So when somebody says, I am a Zen student, this is somebody who is implying that they are delving into the nature of mind. And uh, we are assuming that it's their mind that they're delving into and the nature of it. And then we can also assume that because we all have the similar human bodies and live in the same world, and we all have the same experiences, that we are talking about the human mind and then mind in general, because we don't know of any other mind. We don't know of the mind of animals or the mind of gods or anything like that. So the, um, the nature of mind is the exploration of Zen. So we, we also know that Zen is, I would say it's a methodology. And that's a very controversial word because a lot of people try to say that Zen means nothing or Zen means everything. And these are usually from people that don't understand what Zen is or from people who really never put much thought into it. And they're just throwing an offhanded remark about it. So we we know that Zen has come to us through uh, a long, long process from, I would say, f- probably from the Indo-Indian uh, region. So, uh, you know, most people say, well, where did Buddhism start at? And a lot of people try to say it's India, and it didn't start in India. It probably more or less originated in the Iran-Syrian area. And then migrated into India and then into the Far East. So um, where did the actual Zen process started? Probably somewhere in um, probably a fusion when the, the Greeks were migrating into the Assyrian uh, India area and into the northern part of um, India. Uh, the the Ashakia clan was called the Aryans, which were they would also be known as Proto-Europeans. They were a fair-skinned, which means not black, and uh, they were not seen as native to the parts of that world. They were um, outsiders. They also called them uh, the snake people because they wore pants. We also know that uh, at that point in time that uh, the world was ruled by royalties and uh, wealthy merchant families it's pretty much um how the ancient world worked uh you were either uh, involved in the royalty or you were born into it uh or you were the heirs of a wealthy merchant family and um pretty much everybody else under you was in some sort of serfdom or slave class um that's pretty much the entire way the world the ancient world worked back then education in the ancient world um if you were fortunate to be born in the royalty or a wealthy merchant family you would have uh teachers and a lot of these teachers were coming from the sophist class and this was a um a uh, educated people generally educated in math and philosophy and uh, reading and writing, and uh it was a cla- would be considered a classical education, so the sophists were were paid more or less um, by the royal families and the merchants to teach their children and they lived within uh, within the palaces or the houses of these people, and they were tutors. There was no such thing as public schools back then. So the only other, um, ways of learning, if you were not fortunate to have a, uh, tutor would be, um, going to the, uh, the temples and the temples, you would either, um, your families would pay for you to become a, a, uh, a, a monk or enter the monastic system of these temples where you could learn to read and write, um, And in the ancient world, even going clear up to uh, even the uh, 1800s, people who could read and write uh, were always promoted into um, higher positions in uh, society. uh, For an example, even in the Roman Empire uh, in the ancient days, those uh, men that could even uh, read were always made officers. Within the, the military, because they could uh, receive orders and then follow them via paper. It was, it was an efficient means. So uh, reading and writing uh, in the ancient world uh, was really your step up to a much um, a much more uh, productive and, and uh, <laughs> reading and writing of the ancient world would give you a station and position that would otherwise be unattainable so when you get a good picture of how the ancient world worked which is um quite different than today you start to understand that um the the way that zen or the what we what we know as zen today um was more or less brought into The uh, Asian, the Southern Asian areas and eventually into the Far East. Um, I would say mostly by uh, wealthy families, royalty, various other and also through the temple systems though. So, you also have to understand that um, in the Southern part of Asia, monasticism existed um, prior to uh, Buddhism and prior to To Zen Um, monasticism uh, is it more you know people we think of this as you know a religious convent some sort of place where people want to um, congregate and live a very religious life and uh, in the the East prior to um, the arrival of Zen and Buddhism uh, you would have temples would be built and then the monasticism the monasticism in the uh the east, more or less uh, it was developed to um provide rudimentally rudimentary, rudimentary uh, education to novice um shamans and priests, but also to uh service the more wealthy um families and the royalty and provide a way for um somewhat of a religious life or a religious i hate to say control of the people because um it has always been in the case where the uh wealthy and the royalty kind of used their religion to control the people by expressing what messages and what morality that they wanted the people to um to to live by. And so that's pretty much um, how monasticism uh, was working in ancient world. Um, I mean, you would have the royalty that would say these are my laws and this is my my will. But then you would have the priest that would more or less serve as an apologetic class for the royalty and um, use the position of of religion to apologize for the the royal edicts and get the people to go along with them so we know that zen is um just by the the history of zen and by the history of the word which means nature of mind we we know now we can pretty much know that zen is not a cultural religion it's not of a people or a place it's um you know you talk about a cultural religion and that would kind of be like um native american uh shamanism because uh, that's definitely a people or and a place uh japanese shinto um that's people on a place uh, hindu um hinduism is as of the hindu people and the place it's not something that can be easily transported to a different place or a different people. So this is something that one has to recognize about when we talk about what Zen is. And so we know it's not a cultural religion or of a people or of a place. And so when we look further at Zen, because we're talking the nature of mind, we start to realize that it's also not a worship of, uh, of it's not theism, it's not a worship of a supreme being. It's not being saved by anybody. Uh, so, you know, a lot of people, when they when they think of Zen, they think of the big Buddha statues that are in the temples or the big Buddha statues that they see, you know, in Japan. And they think, oh, well, you worship Buddha. You know, you worship this guy sitting there with his hand in the air or something like that. And that is, um, that is not true at all. I would say that um, the Buddha statues more or less represent the awakened mind. And we'll get more into the awakened mind uh, later or in different podcasts. So when the the Buddha statues actually did not exist until, I don't know, much later in the uh, development of what we call Buddhism, it actually... um, it, it that that's a name that was uh given to um the kind of belief system the uh Brits saw when they came into the um southern Asian countries to colonize them in the sixteen hundreds it was actually called uh Ramayana and uh and' in a lot of ways um it didn't really have a whole lot of, there wasn't really much of a name to it. But when the British, you know, found the yellow robed wearing monks, the Theravadins, um, they started calling it Buddhism because it was, they were saying, well, you're studying the teachings of this Buddha, the teachings of the awakened one, or I would say the teachings of awakening. So probably, I would say prior to. The the British coming in and giving this name Buddhism to what they found um, There were already Buddha statues being made I think clear, going clear back to the I don't know 11th, 12th centuries When those things started to really start Being popularized So the, the Buddha statues um, Really represent the enlightened mind Or the enlightened person not necessarily a person you know it's not a jesus it's not a muhammad it's representation of a universal um mind the awakened one and that could be anything anybody prior to the the statues uh usually the enlightened mind would would be represented by an empty chair Sometimes by a, a a bowl that was not filled with anything. Um sometimes it was just a, a flat surface like a table. And other times um just a tree or, or nothing. So the the idea that um you know that we pray to a, a Buddha is um a misnotion. And I should also say, just for the, the sake of it, that um, you know, for one that has, I have studied the Buddhist canon, and it is actually a heresy to to call a an inanimate object a non sentient uh, thing a Buddha. So, with that in mind, you start to realize that the Buddha statues, the paintings of the Buddha, these images that are now all common when one thinks of uh, Zen and Buddhism are more aspirational images. They're more representations of the awakened mind rather than of any particular person uh, in history. You know, people would say, oh, so do you worship and pray to that there Buddha? And, you know, you have to just chuckle and say, well, no, because, you know, you, you know that the person that's saying that statement doesn't even understand what, what the Buddha uh, means. And we also know that... um, You know, most people just sort of know Buddhism through TV or pop movies, and that kind of Buddhism is highly misleading and highly uh, (laughs) inaccurate. So we're talking about the Buddha statues being a representation of the awakened mind and Zen, the Zen methodology that uh, becomes apparent when you're when you're starting to look at um, as Zen you you want to ask well what is this methodology and the uh the Zen methodology so like i said Zen uh, it's even though Zen means the awakening of mind but it also also means um the process of awakening mind because I said Zen is uh the to the awakened mind or Kind of like the arrow pointing to the awakened mind. So we're, it implies a process, a methodology. So when we look at the the Zen methodology that has come to us, and here in the West, um, that methodology has come from Japan. So when we start to actually look at, you know we 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 look, we we go through, we look through and we brush aside all of the cultural, and sort of this uh, religious um, etiquette that has come to us from the Japanese temples, and we push that aside, and we look at what is the hardcore nuts and bolts of the methodology, and we find that it uses um, discourses. Um, this is a, and they call these Dharma talks in the Zen centers, though um, they really are just lectures from. The uh, teachers or the educated ones at the Zen centers, and they they're pointing to the nature. What is the nature of mind? What is the nature of the soul? What is the nature of phenomena? Um And so they're trying to teach you a a metaphysics, a metaphysical language. And this is done through discourses. Um this could be public discourses, these can be private interviews um but these are lectures and sometimes they put them in written form and you can you, you would read books on these on these educated uh lectures about the metaphysics because in order to talk about the nature of this, the the spiritual nature of things you have to have a language and that language is learned so that you can have a discussion about them and you can understand them and you can explore them and you, you can you can kind of push yourself uh deeper into a an understanding or a seeing so the discussion and and the uh what they call Dharma talks or just Zen talks is the first part of the method you have to know what it is that you were talking about and you have to be, be educated. The The second part of the method uh, is the more or less what I call the Socratic discussions. And these can either be uh, one-on-one, you know, face-to-face meetings with the teachers or you know, groups in, in a group with senior students or other students where you would more or less kind of delve into the in a Socratic methodology of why do you think something? Why do you believe something? Why do you think you know something? And this can go a long way to help dissolve doubts, conquer fears, uh, brush aside um, held convictions, or things that you think are so that are just not. Um, So this can go a long ways into building faith, uh, Establishing a deeper um, conviction, but also, um, you know, people can, when going through the Socratic discussions, can learn a lot about themselves and a lot about the things that they that they think is so that are just not. So, that the Socratic discussions um, can be can be of different types. Um, some groups will do them. As you know, the small groups will do this together. Sometimes it's only done in uh, from face-to-face, from the student to the teacher. Um, the Tibetans will do this, like in big circles. You'll have big circles of monks uh, doing this. And these discussions can either be very um, moderated and uh, there's a format to them, or they can be um, kind of... Uh, ad hoc where anything goes and in the tibetan schools they would have these sort of discussions which were kind of very ad hoc anything goes that can involve anything from shouting and screaming to hitting you know you're not hitting somebody to hurt them but you're sort of hitting them to get their attention uh and sometimes they they will call you names um i have even seen some name calling uh in the 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 zen centers from time to time but that's rare um, I, uh, so this is a big part of it is the socratic discussions. And so the last part of the Zen, um, methodology is what I call the insight meditation. Um, and Japanese call that Zazen. And it's where one will sit in serene meditation, which can also be called serene prayer. Um, where one delves inward to discover the spiritual mysteries for themselves. And so all three of these, the the discourses, the Socratic discussion, and the insight meditation, form the kernel of the Zen methodology. Um, There could also be some other um, aspects to the methodology. Uh, Some people would say work, you know, work projects or... um, Various types of um, devotional uh, or devotion. Um, So when I talk about the uh, devotional part of this, that would be like the ceremonies or the um, sort of the religious, uh, religious behavior that you would see if you were to go to a Zen center or a Zen temple and this is very much a uh you know where you're you're basically reaffirming or recommitting yourself at all times and all ways to the path to uh, the awakened mind where you are praising the awakened mind you are aspiring to the awakened mind you are wanting to be that awakened mind however that is not necessarily the the only thing that you're praising because there are other steps awakening in Zen is not the end goal, but rather the prerequisite to actually um follow the true that the teachings of Siddhartha Gautama, the Buddha. Because uh his his particular teachings are of the liberation of the mind and you first have to awaken to the nature of your suffering the nature of your mind before you can liberate it. So the Zen methodology, um, puts you into that position to where the teachings of the Buddha actually work, actually take hold. So when we, when we look at Zen, um, a lot of people say, oh, Zen is not about faith. Zen is not a belief. And that is not true at all. It, Zen is a path of faith, at least at the beginning, because you have to have faith that the that the path will work. And you have to have faith that the teachings are true, and you have to have faith that what the Buddha taught is true. And without any of this, the whole thing falls down. So, And then you have to have belief. You do have to believe that you're not being lied to. You have to believe that the people know what they are doing. And you have to believe that you can do this without any of those things the whole thing again falls down um, so this is something that a great majority of Western Zen students uh, struggle with is that of faith um, I think they try to have faith in the whole thing uh, I know it's hard a lot of a lot of people that come to Zen um, have had previous religious um, training and other disciplines like Christianity or Judaism and things did not go well there for them. So they come to Zen with a lot of baggage. And this can be really a problem for 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 years, if not decades, for them to get over that. Um, some don't. Some actually show up at the Zen centers with an absolutely no religious background and they dive right in and boom. <laughs> things go very, very well for them. All right. So we're looking again to the, uh, the Zen methodology. And um, I know it becomes very um, controversial because people like to say, well, Zen is nothing. Zen, Zen is not a methodology. It's, Zen can't be said. If you, if you say anything about Zen, you're wrong. And that is a, um, I would say, a mistaken notion to to say that Zen is nothing. Uh, what you can say is is that Zen is not one thing, or Zen is not an object, or Zen is not a, um, uh, like, just knowing something, like, oh, I know math, or, oh, I know how to read and write. Um, so that that is not what it is. But Zen is a, a, methodolo- a method- methodology to knowing, you know, knowing your own mind, to awakening your mind. And so people say, well, then that's something to obtain. And I say, well, to awaken your mind is not necessarily something that you don't already have. It would be like waking up. You, know, you already have consciousness, but you're in, in, in an unconscious state. So you're not necessarily gaining anything you don't have. You're just wakening up to something that's already there. And so that's what kind of becomes uh, what Zen is though it becomes very murky because when people will say, well, I read this book from this this old Zen master who said that if you say a word about Zen, then you don't know what Zen is. And I would point out that we're dealing with, in a context of those writings, when they were pointing out to where people were not very educated back then and they were... Uh, you know, a lot of them did not know how to read and write, and they had real concrete thinking. You know, oh, well, Zen is just sitting. Um, oh, oh, Zen is just bowing at the Buddha altar. Oh, Zen is just putting out incense and doing offerings. Very concrete levels of thinking of what this was. And when they started to realize that, that Zen is not necessarily any of these things, but it's more of a, of a process, a, an, a, an invisible, you can't see a process. You can't hold a process. You can't hold a, uh, you can't um, say, oh, well, I'm going to paint a process. Just like the methodology of Zen, which is the process. You can't You can't hold it. You can't paint it. You can't uh, necessarily put it in a, you know, chisel it in stone, so to speak. You can describe it. You can say, well, you know, these are the things that we do. And you you do see that uh, all over the place in the writings of the old Zen masters. And they are talking about the process. They're talking about the methodology, but they're also in in the same breath, you know, trying to say, well, you're you're not attaining. You're not coming here and going to like take out your your mind and put a new mind in, or you're not going to become a different person. And uh, this. So there was a lot of dispelling of wrong notions, and I would like to say concrete thinking um, from uh, people that were not very bright or, or whatever they call dullards. Um, kind of didn't didn't really get things that well, and so when you start to look at all of this, you start to see, ah, oh, this is a what Zen is. What Zen is aiming for that what we're trying to do here. And so there is definitely a path. There is, oh, you see the path. So then it's like, okay, so there's this path and it uses discourses, Socratic discussion, insight, meditation. And that's the kernel of it. And this is going to help me uh, awaken my own mind. It's the sleeper who is wanting to wake up. And so this is, this is the, the path of Zen. A lot of people say. So, what is waking up? And this waking up, um, in, in Japan, Japanese, they call it kencho. You know, it's a it's an awakening, an awakening moment. So, you know, it's like ah, I, had, I I I was something happened. And generally, when people wake up, um, there is changes to them, and those changes are often seen by other people, and they will comment, "Oh, you've changed." There's something about you that is different than when we first met you. And that is um, the, the Kensho, the awakening. And uh, for some people, it happens extremely fast. Uh, for, I mean, I think um, in my own experience, it was only a matter of weeks. Uh, for some other people, um, it could be... They, some people even come to the Zen Center already awaken. Uh you know they 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 were waking long before uh they even knew what zen was now they just want to kind of take it further you know to find out what 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 you know all about the the you know they want to gain a metaphysical language so that they can express themselves and uh, you know gain more um courage and uh understanding to to go further because enlightenment, like I said, is not the the end goal but the prerequisite of the much greater uh, path of Buddhism so here in Zen, uh, I like to say that we hold you know that Zen is um, is the most expedient means of achieving enlightenment, but the enlightenment is not the end goal, the prerequisite to the greater path as' taught by Siddhartha Gautama and that path is usually uh, soul purification and and then liberation which uh, I know a lot of again that is controversial because people like to say oh zen did not teach uh, that the soul existed which um is not true and it is yet another um misconception that zen in that buddhism there's no soul uh and we will talk about that in another uh, podcast about whether there's a soul or not, and what was the position of the Buddha on this so enlightenment becomes enlightenment sort of they call it the e word in the Zen centers it's kind of a four letter word to some people because um a lot of people who um have not waken up the enlightenment um They tend to fantasize of what this is. You know, what is enlightenment? Is it Superman powers? Is it disappearing from this world? Is it being transported to some other world? Um, Is it being a different person? Is it knowing all things at all times, like omnipotent? And, well, it's none of these things, obviously. Simply, enlightenment, at least within the, the Buddhist context, is... Knowing of your mind In this phenomenal world In other words, you know what the nature of it is You see it you It's not that you have an intellectual nature of it It's that you, you see it you, you have a true grasp of it That's the enlightenment That's the aha And you know why you suffer You know, you see it You see why you suffer and when that happens, everything changes. Um, it can be a, what they call a turning point where your, your, your life was going in one direction. You waken up to the nature of your own mind, and then you sort of like take a different direction of, of your life and everything. And it's a, it's a profound change. And some people, that change is instantly profound and in other people, um, the change is slow. It just depends on their current life situation. So, but it is generally recognized that um, you know, like I said, other people will kind of tell you, you know, you know, hey, I'm kind of seeing some different things about you than when we first showed up. That's kind of a big sign. And, and some people will just kind of flat out will come out and tell you, hey, man, you know what? You've 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 hit it. You've reached it. And it's not something to you know. Oh, great! Little, give me my give me my enlightenment badge and my enlightenment certificate, and I'll move on. That's that's not how that works. So um, you just you know when you when you when you're in these deep religious pasts, because the the, the the awakening of the the mind is a religious a religious issue, because you're dealing with that of the the spirit, you're dealing with that of the soul. And that of the material existence, and when you're dealing with those things, you're always dealing with enlightenment, and always dealing with religion, always. So, again, you know when we're talking about uh, enlightenment, um, like you know the Buddha in the the sutras, the Buddhist canon, you know he would say that you know most people who would come to him would achieve enlightenment within. Uh, you know a couple of weeks to a month, and I personally found that um when when working with other uh Zen students and being around them that most people achieve enlightenment within about that time um There are those i don't, and that 's because they have deep seated convictions, doubts that um they just hold to hold on to they won 't let go and this is something that, um, you know, a lot of people, a lot of times, you know, you see, you, you see, you can run into people who just sort of sit in the Zen center for years on end and just, and just flat out will tell you enlightenment does not exist. And that's because they are totally stuck. <laughs> uh, yeah, I've even met Zen teachers who um, did not achieve Enlightenment and would tell you that it doesn't exist. And would say that, oh no, Zen is just a religion that we pray to this Buddha guy over here and um follow follow moralistic rules and codes and that's what we do. And you know, that's kind of a sad view of 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 Zen because you realize that um the the teacher never achieved enlightenment. Um they didn't they didn't understand what Zen was However, they were just around long enough uh, within the Zen Center organization and were granted the rank of Zen teacher, and that happens. It's just like the... Um, in Zen, they have this thing called the lineage transmission, and you know, it was explained to the, the congregation by um, a particular uh, Zen habit that um transmission of the lineage which means the the authorization to to teach does not mean that the person's enlightenment or have attained anything it just is a sometimes it's done as encouragement sometimes it's done to help them along the path so this is something that um a lot of the uh the zen students you know when they when they see well this person's the teacher obviously they're enlightened right you well know, that is not that is not necessarily the case at all, and sometimes the case is that the teacher is just somebody that was put into that position by the much larger organization because they didn't know what to do with that person. And then there's also the view of, well, you know surely uh, the organization would not put a person as my teacher who doesn't know anything or who who actually is anti-Buddhist and anti-Zen. Well, yes, sometimes they do. And these are. This is hard for sometimes the uh, the Zen students to to understand, especially when they start to realize that their the teacher that they have been with is not somebody that is that is good for them. And that happens. Um, I have met a number of students who have who have said, "Wow, you know, you're saying things that I've never heard." And it's like, well, yeah, there's reason for that. And that's because there's a good chance that your teacher does not believe in any of this and that they have never achieved enlightenment that they have no faith in the path of zen and so they've they look at zen as just a you know a praying to the awakened mind a devotional um a devotion to the awakened mind but they really don't know the method of zen and they don't really understand the process that you have to go through because they have never went through it themselves. Either they stopped doing it or um it just they've they've somehow in their own mind do not do this. And so this this is why when I say the things that I say can be controversial or even shocking, especially to those that have studied Zen or who have went to Zen centers is because of this reason. And so if you're listening to this and you're saying, "Well, man, you are really wrong. You you don't understand Zen. You don't you don't get it. You are you're delusional." I would challenge that. Um, that you have been given bad information and you might want to uh rethink your situation of of what you've been taught because it's possible that those that have taught you these things uh, don't understand what they're teaching either. A lot of us have had experiences in the uh, Christian churches, and uh, we know that by that experience that um, there's a lot of doubt and skepticism. That even I have even run. You know, how many of us have not met a minister or a Catholic priest or you know your your pastor who. Who, you, who has told you that they don't believe in God or they don't believe that Jesus existed? They just they just don't. And I have certainly met a few that would, you know, they would do the sermons and they would do everything. But when you start to talk to them, they would just flat out tell you that they don't believe God exists. And they don't believe that there's, that there's any heaven. So this happens. And um, so and it happens in Zen quite a lot. It's uh, it's it's a fantasy. It's just completely ludicrous to to believe that um, just because somebody is the the teacher at a Zen center they're enlightened, that they know what the Zen process is, or they even really know what Zen is. So this is a um, could be a big wake up call, a big shock, a big uh, kick in the head. <laughs> All right. So we've kind of talked a lot about what 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 is Zen. And, uh, you know, I guess if we talk about what is not Zen, um, well, it's kind of hard to say that because, it, you know, what is not Zen? Uh, you know, is, is rule following and following a moralistic code? What is that? And, you know, I can say, well, if it makes you a better person to be around, you know, if 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 these things help you, achieve enlightenment, and then, then I guess they're a good thing. These things in themselves is not enlightenment. And mm-hmm. that's basically all I can say about that. So, not, not one, there's nothing in particular in Zen that is enlightenment. And there's nothing in particular in the Zen methodology that you can say that is Zen. But the entire methodology and what it points to what it is attempting to tell you and encourage you to do, that is Zen. And uh, this is one of these things where it's like, again, you know, we're talking about something that cannot be seen and held or paint a picture of or photographed, but it is a methodology nevertheless, all right, so we've talked a lot about what is Zen and uh, what is enlightenment. Um, in future broadcasts, we'll talk about uh, what happens next. You know, what happens to those that wake up? What is the next steps? So, uh, hopefully, you'll return and listen to the uh, future podcast of this, and we will continue on in our expo- exploration of the path of Zen.